Hello, and welcome to Residential Spread. I'm Molly Slavin, and here with me today is Corey Gergen. How you doing, Corey? Hey, I'm okay. How are you? I'm doing okay. Also here with me is um, Alexandra Edwards. How you doing, Alexandra? I'm good. How are you, Molly? I'm good. I don't know why I just called you Alexandra. I That was a very weird thing I did. I always call you Alex. It's like um, the second also, time ever in the world that you've done that. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> um, a second and third, though, because I did it twice. True. Um, also here is Josh Cohen. How you doing, Josh? Well, Molly, as you know, and all of our co-hosts know, we're in that time here in Atlanta where it's like fake fall. Like, it's not yeah. actually a real fall that doesn't exist here, but you think it's going to be fall for a couple of days, and yeah. we're in those couple of days. So, actually, it's like you can go outside. Yeah. I mean, if you socially distance, you can go outside, but, like, you won't be smothered in humidity. So, I'm actually doing all right. That's great. Josh, thank you for that bolt of <laughs> sunshine that you no just worries. introduced into our lives. And then we've also got Eric Lewis. How are you doing, Eric? Hi, I'm doing great. I'm excited to hear about this fake fall that exists in Atlanta being in real fall here in South Bend. Yes, that is actual fall. That is certified <laughs> yeah. fall. Yeah. Don't rub it in. <laughs> Josh, Josh covered it pretty well. Yeah, it doesn't hit 80 for a couple of days and we feel like we start like pulling our sweaters out. Well, yeah. I went on a walk with a sweater today, but I deeply regretted it about 10 minutes in. Yeah. Because it was too because it that was is, too hot to be clear. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna miss the cold. Yeah. Anyway, um, we are term limited contingent faculty teaching humanities at the Georgia Institute of Technology. Like other schools, Georgia Tech has experienced massive disruptions, shifts, and changes due to the spread of coronavirus. This fall, it has sent students and instructors back into classrooms. On this show, we investigate the sources and consequences of these policies and discuss what it's like to navigate higher ed during a pandemic as members of the precariat. Today, we are going to go for co. That is, we're going to talk about how colleges in the COVID era are deploying disciplinary structures to try to, quote unquote, control the crises that they have created. So school has been back in session for several weeks now. And as many of us predicted, universities and colleges have reacted to the spread of coronavirus on campuses by first blaming and then punishing their students. So in this episode, we want to dig into what processes are being used to enact these punishments, what effect it might have on campus life, what recourse the students themselves have if they're subject to this discipline, uh, and finally, are there alternative models for creating safe campus spaces that we can imagine? And this week, as always, we are going to open with a temperature check. Our number for today is $36,500. That's the per-person tuition that Northeastern University charged students and then refused to give back when they expelled 11 of those students for gathering in a room to watch televised sports together. It's a handy little racket. Northeastern has now made just over $400,000 off those 11 people who can no longer go to the school. So what do you all make of that number? Isn't that a wonderful business opportunity that we should all get involved in? <laughs> Yeah, it seems like a, a real easy way to pocket almost half a mil, you know, invite students to have a subpar educational experience, um, then give them 
unfollowable rules hold them to the most exacting standards possible. Uh, and when they inevitably need to socialize with each other because they're young adults, uh, kick them out and keep their money. Sounds just, I mean, you almost couldn't dream of a better scheme than that. Yeah, the, the, one of the wild things to me about this is these students weren't even on campus. Uh, they, the, the school put them up in the Westin uh, nearby. Uh, this, this program was some kind of study abroad program that then, because of the pandemic, could no longer be abroad. But rather than cancel it and give these people their money back then, they just threw them all into a hotel and then sent uh, uh, university employees over to police. Uh, so like they got caught on like a, like a room sweep and they like sent people over to go through their rooms and they found a bunch of students. Yeah. Watching sports together. It's uh, it, it sounds like a racket to begin with. Like even before you throw them out, it sounds like a racket to charge 36 grand to, to put them into a local hotel. <laughs> yeah. To not go abroad. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Uh, and as, as we all know from, you know, uh, people who we know who have studied abroad, it's the study that, that really matters about the abroad programs, right? No mm -hmm. one cares about the abroad. It's the studying, right, that we care That's about. Correct. <laughs> right, exactly. It's, it's completely <laughs> the same if you go to Prague or if you go to the Westin five minutes right. down the street from campus. Yes, yes. <laughs> Boston is very much like the south of France, I'm sure. Especially when you put up, you know, the Buenos Aires Zoom background. Then it's like, then it's like you're really there. <laughs> that's, you know what? I that's fair. I bet that their professors had really good Zoom backgrounds. That's true. <laughs> I think from reading, from having read the news stories as well about this, I believe that all eleven people were wearing masks. Um, they just were. Uh, yeah, I, it's it seems so egregious, and again, like. Northeastern created the problem and then made money off of so, quote unquote solving the problem by punishing people who didn't deserve it. Yes. And so go ahead. Oh, no, I just, just had, had these students gone to a nearby sports bar and taken their masks off, they wouldn't have been, they wouldn't have gotten caught. Like, right. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I'm immensely creeped out also by the idea of university employees going to a local hotel and doing room sweeps on students. Yeah. Like that sounds like when I went to Washington DC in the fifth grade. Right. Yeah. Did they, do you think they tape, they put tape on the, like my, my <laughs> soccer coach used to put tape like between the door and the door frame. So that if we opened the door after curfew, it would break the tape and he would know. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, just particularly talking about that whole these are ways that schools are trying to solve problems that they've created uh, made me think, uh, in addition to thinking of Foucault, also thinking about, um, I can't remember the theorist off the top of my head since I just thought of this, but the whole idea of the, the state and its founding violence and the state's violence is not violence. I feel like in the same way, it's the school that was reckless and put students in this situation. But the school's recklessness can't be punished. Only the students can. Yes, absolutely. I don't know who. Molly, do you know who that? That feels like Gramsci, would be? but is it? Gramsci was who I was thinking of. Yeah. Better favor. Anyway, unimportant. That's right. <laughs> That's the Here idea. Our spread. Yeah. We don't believe in citation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> Listen, we just do the best we can and move on and from there. there I think make things that feel right and keep going. <laughs> Listen, that's well, all academics ever. Yeah, true. Well, we can at least fix it in post. Yeah. That's true. We can just dub in the right name. <laughs> We're on it'll, it'll be seamless. <laughs> Absolutely. One of the other things that struck me about the story about Northeastern is um, at, at the end, the, the, the reporter um, mentions talking to a number of students who weren't affected by it, who weren't expelled. And they seem to mostly agree that this is, uh, this is reasonable. Um, she, she, they quote a number of students um, who, who say like, yeah, like we need people to be following the rules. So, um, you know, at least some students are buying into this idea um, that, that the students are responsible for the violence or the danger that the, that the school itself is, is putting Corey, them in. I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, I taught the, I think we're going to talk about it later in the episode, but I taught the Syracuse statement um, in my class, which is my class is on crime and punishment. And I taught the Syracuse statement a few weeks ago, and I, I thought students were going to rip it to shreds. And overwhelmingly, the feeling was, no, this is a very reasonable statement. We need people to be following the rules, was overwhelmingly the response what? I got. Oh, shit. And that's, that's the discipline part, right? That's the discipline yeah. of the discipline and punish, the right. internalizing of – these norms or dictates it's the self-policing it's the you know taking this rhetoric and applying it to yourself independently of of the external the original external kind of order or dictate or punishment right it just takes like it just takes suspending 11 students to get the vast majority of the other students to then internally say oh i need to police myself because otherwise that'll happen to me Apparently, you could. They, they, some of them felt that way before they even expelled the eleven right, students. Right, 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 because they were probably primed by you know months of rhetoric and communications and posturing from admin and you know all mm -hmm. kinds of other things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you mm -hmm. you frame the punishment as we are punishing them to save your campus experience, even right. though your campus experience involves room sweeps uh, that to make sure you aren't watching a football game with with with, with too many classmates. But this. This Syracuse statement is really remarkable. Um, Alex, I think you put it in the show notes and, and you suggested a, a, a dramatic reading. Do you, do you have one prepared? Um, I actually have a dramatic reading of the Vanderbilt statement oh, prepared. Okay. That's, um, that's fair. Uh, I think we need like we need like 90s Harrison Ford to read the Syracuse film, right? Like we need like like the president <laughs> from Air Force One to like, right. get this one at us. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Um, well, Molly, yeah. do you want to give us, since you just taught this, do you want to give us some of the highlights of um, like what the content that's in the Syracuse statement that is so wild? I would be so happy to, Alexandra. <laughs> <laughs> I feel every time you use my full name, I feel like I am being punished for something because <laughs> no one ever calls me that. It's very like my mom yelling my full name from across the house. I mean, I started it as a bit, but now I'm just going to keep going with it. <laughs> you got to commit to the bit. You have to commit to the bit. I'm for it. <laughs> but here are some of the highlights from the ominously titled additional information about last night's quad gathering 
from Syracuse, um, <laughs> who wrote it. It was a, uh, it was the, uh, the chief of the Department of Public Safety and the dean of students. First of all, I like that it starts additional information because that implies something has already been sent that I suppose we are not privy to. But I will just read <laughs> um, a couple lines from the first couple paragraphs. Dear members of the Syracuse University community, by now you are aware of the incredibly reckless behavior that took place on the quad last night, which is, I feel, a large statement to assume that everyone is aware. I mean, Syracuse is a pretty big university. Um, I don't know why they yeah. believe that everyone knows yeah, about like, the was, gathering. Was Carmelo Anthony on the quad or yeah. something? <laughs> <laughs> we assure you. Anyone we are able to identify as attending that gathering will be held responsible. Our investigation is ongoing and includes reviewing security camera footage, interviewing witnesses, and processing a number of tips we are receiving with information on who was in attendance. There's that good old panopticon as a side note. Uh, speaking of Foucault. Yeah, well, that also sounds like a really great, it sounds like a really great way to get rid of your college roommate that you don't like. It sure does. Just yeah, inform be, on them. There's about to be a lot of Madame Defarges running around. <laughs> <laughs> um, we will continue to investigate, et cetera, et cetera. The only other sentence I really want to highlight comes at um, the bottom of the second paragraph. Um, they've kind of walked, a, the writer has walked us through kind of a timeline um this gather moments later dps which is department of public safety officers arrived on the scene and the quad was cleared just after 10 30 p.m this gathering was foolish as it put these individuals their fellow students and our ability to remain on campus in jeopardy and i like this because of course there's that threat of the police state moments later officers came right and we mm -hmm. cleared the quad Mm -hmm. Side note, it took 45 minutes to clear the quad, which does not speak highly of the abilities of these DPS officers, because um, it sounds like the the gathering started <laughs> at 9.45 p.m., um, but then it ends with that kind of self-policing and that sort of turning of students against each other itself, right? Um, this gathering was foolish to put these individuals and our slash your ability to remain on campus in jeopardy. I just love how right. it's, a, it's a gathering. Like, there's no specificity to this at all. It's just, like, the group had grown considerably. What does it's that even gathering. mean? Like, how many yeah. students? What were how they many? doing? Were they socially distant? Were they clustered together? Were they wearing masks? Were they not? I'm looking at a photograph from uh, localsyracuse.com, which is, like, a, like the ABC affiliate. Um, and they are, they're they're not distant. I don't see a lot of masks, but they're they're just kind of standing on the quad because what else is there to do when you're a new freshman? Like, there's nothing for these kids to do. I don't. They can't all stand around in a room together. Right, right, and they can't. I mean, they can sit in their dorm and like watch whatever cable Syracuse pipes into their dorm. They can like Instagram from their <laughs> from their dorm. Yeah, I've right? been led to believe that. Gen Z is obsessed with their phones and never looks up from them. So I don't understand why they wouldn't just stay in their room to begin with. Right. I mean, I love to pay $36,000 to have free HBO. So, yeah. 
You're right. Yeah. You're right. Well, but you also throw in those exotic Zoom backgrounds, and suddenly it becomes worth the money. <laughs> yeah. So this Syracuse statement was, you're right, Molly. There's there's a lot of really interesting things that we can kind of tease out of it. Um, looking at it now in the wake of like the Vanderbilt statement, which came out just a couple days, I think, after this. Um, this actually does now seem slightly measured, um, mm-hmm. although it's very much using that language of the police blotter um, to try to intimidate uh, these students. But the, to me, the Vanderbilt one is just absolutely sociopathic and unhinged. While this is loading, I will say that uh, an important piece of this is actually that this statement was originally published as 10 graphics in a Twitter thread on the Vanderbilt, the official Vanderbilt uh, Twitter account, which, and they were all like these, you know, like clearly designed in Photoshop, like using the Vanderbilt logo and color scheme. They conform to the brand package um, in a way that I found even more disturbing somehow splitting these things up into like one or two sentences made it even (laughs) sort of stranger, I think. Um, Yeah. So, okay. So it has loaded now. So this is Vanderbilt university. Uh, I apologize. It actually came out, I think the day before the Syracuse's additional information, quote unquote. Um, This one is actually titled urgent in all caps message about start of classes. Um, And it comes to us from the chancellor and the provost and vice chancellor for academic affairs of Vanderbilt. Uh, So dear Vanderbilt students and families, as the headlines fill with stories of universities being forced to suspend in-person classes after reopening due to outbreaks on campus, we write to reiterate the utmost seriousness with which you, and every single member of the Vanderbilt community must take our public health and safety requirements. Every student must know that the parties and disregard for face masks, physical distancing, and gathering size causing universities to abandon in-person classes will not be tolerated at Vanderbilt. That is in italics, by the way. One person's decision to shrug off their responsibility for a night of fun can be the reason an entire class misses its senior year, or why a student for whom Vanderbilt is the safest home they know is forced to leave. You must take personal responsibility for the safety of your fellow students while on campus and off campus. That's also in italics. (laughs) And you must (laughs) prioritize what is most important. Uh, and here we get into the real, it sort of takes a somehow an even darker turn. Um, the next paragraph, all students should also know that flouting public health requirements in Nashville doesn't just result in student conduct violations. It can carry real criminal penalties, as was the case with the recent arrest of the host of a reckless party in our city. These criminal penalties and disciplinary actions will follow students and derail their future chances for attending graduate, law, medical, nursing, and other professional schools, or securing their dream job. Now, let's back up a little bit, because that was a really scary paragraph. 
Next paragraph begins. We write this not to scare you. It's perfectly plain that the situation happening at other universities can be avoided at Vanderbilt, but only if you anchor down, step up, and do your part. What a metaphor. I'm going to actually stop there because it just continues on and on in a a completely... um, horrifying way. I will hit one more um, sort of uh, highlight from the very last paragraph of the statement, um, which says that your responsible actions this fall will be the reason that your degree will stand out from others as 5, 10, 15 years from now, people will remember that Vanderbilt students responded to the pandemic with strength, responsibility, integrity, and courage. Your actions in the coming weeks will show that Vanderbilt will indeed, in the words of our alma mater, conquer (laughs) and prevail. (laughs) It is then signed onward. (laughs) We could close read like line by line, but I want to jump in with personal responsibility because that sums up an important kind of historical style of rhetoric or category of rhetoric. You see this with race in the 19th and early 20th century, you see with gender in the same time period, and you see it into the present. Whenever you have a systemic problem and you want to obfuscate the systemic nature of that problem, the easiest way to do that is to use language of personal responsibility, right? You say, oh, these black people are violent and criminal. You say, oh, these women are hysterical and prone to uh, impulsive behavior. Oh, these students are prone to partying and rule breaking, right? It's about personal responsibility. It's a moral kind of rhetoric. It's, it's about choices, good choices, bad choices. It completely obfuscates all of the choices that the university makes, that the community makes. Uh, and of course, it, there's no talk of structures. There's no talk of uh, systemic problems. There's no talk of how individual choices are largely shaped and subsumed by, by institutions. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, this statement to me is really fascinating because it contains this like really distilled essence of this magical thinking that these schools have been doing, um, where they say, like, if you do the right thing, we'll be the only school that that doesn't have to cancel in-person classes because, um you know, their students uh, were were bad, right? Like that, I don't know. It, it, yeah, it's... yeah. It, it pivots to like a Vanderbilt exceptionalism. It pivots to branding so hard at the end of that letter. Like by contrast, the Syracuse letter, it's obvious like that was written by someone in, in law enforcement and this is written by the upper admin and they're thinking about, oh, we can spin this as good branding. We can spin this as like the Vanderbilt difference, right? Like our students like weathered the pandemic with a plum while your students were out there like losing their minds. What a, what an overt statement if, of this person's belief in – well, of course, this person doesn't really believe it. But um, this constant selling it to students that like someone will look at your at Vanderbilt on your resume and remember, right? Yes. Like, no one cares mm-hmm. about That's where right. someone graduated from college that much. Oh my God, nobody cares. Not even, not well, even two years after you graduate from college, does anyone give a shit where you? The end only college. circumstance like, in which I could see it right. is, is if the hiring manager also went to your college and like feels strongly about it. 
<laughs> no one. And they're and they're thinking of this. They're thinking of this as like a chapter in their legacy. Like yep. yeah. they're thinking of this like during the like that they're going to be able to tell prospective donors in 15 years that like mm-hmm. you remember the COVID pandemic. Well, our students were so great that we kept in-person classes when UNC Chapel Hill went down in flames, when Notre Dame had a big outbreak and had to go online. Like we are like they're going to put this in a brochure somewhere. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and, oh, it's going to be it, the fucking picture of, of people during the 1918 flu pandemic watching yeah, right, Georgia yep. Tech football in masks. Yep, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and, and the football thing is is useful here because it, it's not just at the end where they do this. They're, they're weaving this throughout. That I think that last paragraph that you read, Alex, before you jump to the end, right? Uh, mm-hmm. What's happening else at other universities can be avoided at Vanderbilt, but only if you anchor down. And anchor down is like a football cry. For the, right. That's a Vanderbilt football cheer that's been repurposed here. I mean, in a way that lots of other schools are doing that, right? Like UGA is telling people to hunker down and, and Georgia Tech has been saying swarm together, which is actually bad advice, but whatever. Um, <laughs> it is. Uh, <laughs> hey, jackets, tech jackets. <laughs> right, yes. Yeah, right, exactly. That's slightly better advice, I guess, um, yeah. if we had to pick one. Um, and even before that, right, the when they invoke criminal penalties, when they threaten to call the police basically on their students, um, the threat of criminal penalties is not like going to jail or, you know, being wrapped up in the criminal justice system. It's that this will follow you and derail future chances at graduate law, medical, nursing, other professional schools, or securing your dream job, right? It's well, like, the implication is you're not going to go to jail, right? Yeah. It's, 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 yeah, it's, it's weaponizing this myth that they've been selling to these students about how important Vanderbilt will be on your resume. Yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. Yeah. But it, yeah. but it is also in referring to what the police state does and what getting caught right. in the criminal justice system does. It, yeah. it in a very ob- obfuscated way, does make reference to the fact that um, they have created a situation in which the worst thing these students can think of is to be caught up in the criminal justice system because right. it will prevent them from getting their dream job, right? So there's yeah. that, like, that stigma about being someone who is, quote, unquote, a criminal um, mm-hmm. that, that they are able to um, weaponize throughout the statement. Although, as Josh said earlier, very much framing that implication as that person's own fault. Yeah. Oh, right. It would be their moral failing, right? It would be their moral failing if they couldn't go to grad school because they were branded a criminal, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. This is yeah. what the criminal justice system does. The system works. It catches bad apples, right. basically. Yeah. But you probably... And it keeps them out of med school. Yeah. It's, it's gonna help you good. It's gonna help you good students stay in stay on per, in person. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I actually well, just did um, a uh, discussion for uh, our critical university studies reading group, and we talked about this book that Jennifer Doyle wrote called Campus uh, Sex, Campus Security. Um, and in it, she talks about like the the quote unquote campus rape crisis um, and how it's tied to the increasing militarization of campus policing. Um, and how these things are like deeply enmeshed together. Um, but one of her major points, and one of the things I keep thinking about here, is that the 
she talks a lot about the university's need, like like a fundamental need at the base of the university system to create and enforce this distinction between the insider and the outsider through the mechanisms of violent policing. Um, and all of these statements, it seems like that is like what is subtending them, right? Is that like right now you are part of the in-group, but you could be ostracized at any moment and thrown into the out-group um, and, and left behind, right? Which is totally what Vanderbilt is doing. Yeah, you could be, you could be dishonorably discharged. Yeah, and just with all the branding, all the celebration of you are Vanderbilt, you are lucky enough to be this. It's really, it's, I mean, it's really effectively making use of the fact that if you're someone who is privileged enough to be in the university period, to be in Vanderbilt in particular, uh, you have to have bought in to a certain extent to some of these things. And it's just weaponizing that and using it against the students. You've always been one of the good kids. This is part of continuing that. It's really flattering them and doing the, like, with great power comes great responsibility thing. Which is fascinating because the power they have is that someone opened up the doors to a prison and they voluntarily walked yep. in. Um, I mean, they were marketed that prison really heavily, right? Here I mean, mm -hmm. like, the, the campus, the college campus itself, right? Um, mm -hmm. To think about, like, Foucault and the Panopticon, um, even, like, when Foucault writes about um, plague lockdowns, plague quarantine um, in 17th century, right? Um, so much of that is enforced from outside, and it's that that process of enforcement that eventually creates the self-discipline um, and that, that the bodies police themselves. Um, and in this case, wildly, so much of this, what's going on with these colleges is that, in fact, they have just made prison seem really attractive <laughs> in a weird, does that make yeah. sense? Like, I don't mean real prison. I mean, like the prison of, of college, right? If we think about it as an mm -hmm. enclosed walled off space in which you're constantly surveilled, subject to um, unappealable disciplinary proceedings um, and uh, uh, sort of forced to get in line with what the institution desires of both your mind and your body. Um, it, this is not something that has been done to these students necessarily. It has something that has been so ingrained in us as like, well, college is like the ultimate achievement of your teen years, right? Like you're, you go through your childhood uh, and your teenager dumb uh, and eventually like you achieve college and what you're really achieving when we start to look at the way that, that, campuses and colleges are policed by the institutions themselves, what you've achieved is to lock yourself in a cell. So that's cheerful. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's preparing them to enter the workforce. True. <laughs> yeah. Justin, you don't become the Harvard of the Southeast by letting your students, you know, slack off and not reinforce their standards of personal responsibility. It's just, it's just not possible. Duke has a, you Duke know, I, has a word to say with about... you about that Harvard of the Southeast. <laughs> yes, no, I'm only channeling their own, um, you know, aspirational identity. 
there are a lot of Harvards of the South. I yeah. was just about to say, I was told that Emory was the Harvard of the South I, when I called <laughs> Vanderbilt that. Um, oh, wow, and speaking of, like, a place that is uh, sort of historically embroiled in the settler colonial carceral system, mm-hmm. right? That, that Harvard's the one we hold up. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm really curious... I want to know whether the students who are currently celebrating all of this will feel the same way 5, 10, 15 years down the line, the way that Vanderbilt predicts. Like all of us were undergrads in the not too distant past. And all of us, it seems, are people who have been incredibly disillusioned by how the university has handled the pandemic, if not its actions before then. And... I just wonder if a similar process will occur for these students. I or hope if so. The message will work; it'll stick with them. Yeah. I probably would have bought this at eighteen, and I don't now. So mm-hmm. there's hope. Yeah, you, I feel. You did similarly. go to grad school, though. Yeah. <laughs> what? What, Alessandra? <laughs> <laughs> you did go to grad school. Yeah. I think that there's a. a a level of critical attention to these kinds of issues that has to be met or, um, and it, that doesn't need to be through grad school. It's not the only sort of way to get to this. Um, but I think the institutions as they are now are not encouraging the kind of critical reflection and attention um, that will help students see that this is bullshit. At least not at an undergraduate level. Right. Yeah. yeah, and I think I think with budget crises, both real and imagined in the wake of, of COVID, that's going to be increasingly the case. Um, and, you know, I think there's ways to get at these observations without Foucault, but um, did I didn't read Foucault until someone assigned it to me. Did, did any of you all pick up Foucault on your own? I didn't own? hear about Foucault until no, I've never heard no. of the guy until someone assigned it to me. <laughs> Why on earth did you read some weird gay French philosopher just on your own? Right. Well, no, that's 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 what I'm saying. I didn't want to speak for anyone who like <laughs> did, but that's I mean that's my point, right? It's not it's not something that people in the United States in the 21st century encounter. Like, you know, mm-hmm. you don't you don't take it to the beach with um, <laughs> right. with like. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Nicholas Sparks or something, right? Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think we're in a we've we've been in a twenty plus year long humanities crisis that's only going to get worse. And so, I don't know. Maybe this bet will pay off for these schools uh, from a financial perspective. Mm-hmm. Great stuff. Cheerful as always. <laughs> should we should we talk about alternatives like other ways that these schools could have handled things differently that are not so panopticani? Yes, I think that that's a, a great idea, because I think often it can be very easy to critique from an abolitionist perspective, and it can be a lot harder to then make the jump to offering abolitionist solutions. So, <laughs> ideas? <laughs> the immediate thought I have is that, um, I don't know, in these statements, they're very much 
framing being on campus as something students wanted and were asking for. And I know that there were plenty of students who were doing that, but not all students, not everyone on campus is excited to be there. And also mm -hmm. there is something to, you don't have to give students everything they want. If you as the person who is arranging what conditions will be like on campus, know that it's not going to be what students want. Students are going to show up to college expecting to spend time with their friends, be free of their parents, enjoy college as they knew it or has it, as it has been sold to them their entire lives. That just isn't going to happen now. So I think if bringing people to campus was done more on an optional basis or on a more restrictive basis that basically privilege those students who actually don't have a safer home to return to, that little figure that those statements use to justify their decisions, which I think is a small, a, a, a significantly smaller portion of the student body than those statements pretend, maybe that would have been a good first step. I think that's good. I also think very few schools have instituted the kind of rapid and mass testing that is required to actually have a functioning campus. Mm -hmm. And I think the playbook should have been over the, you know, plan to delay the start of the semester, push it back, plan to start with a smaller group of students, perhaps those who want or need to be on campus the most, ramp up testing, and then phase in other students who want to come to campus, have pretty, you know, you know, give everyone masks, make social distancing easy, like make the things that people need to do, facilitate it, right? Don't just say, this is your responsibility to like not meet up with people. Maybe do socially distant programming. Don't shame people who break the rules, but couch everything in more positive terms, like, you know, encourage people to get tested, but not be like this kind of, it's all, it's all your personal responsibility, the brand of the school, like everything is on your shoulders, but do things little by little, get people accustomed to a new routine of like socially distant events, wearing masks, uh, getting tested, doing all these things in, in, as a new normal and not presenting the old version of like this idyllic college experience of like, you know, whatever, Frisbee on the quad and big crowds and barbecues, like they had to scrap that entirely, create something new that would still be appealing to students, but be more manageable and, and something that they could pull off at the wider, like institutional level with the resources available. And then like get students to buy into that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think the problem uh, with imagining some of these alternative um, and more holistic and positive models um, is that were universities to begin from there, then they would have to um, come to terms with the fact that, in fact, they've been seeding a public health crisis for decades um, around partying and drinking um, alcohol abuse on campuses and in the uh, immediate surrounding communities um, that like no school wants to actually take responsibility um, for the idea that that the very institution of college is itself in a lot of ways a public health crisis. Um, 
because a lot of what we're hearing, right, is that this is the parties are the problem, but the parties were the problem before COVID, right? Like we, I mean, you guys, uh, Corey and Molly might remember this. We sat in that um, orientation with the Dean of Students at Georgia Tech who, who told us a whole supposedly charming and feel good story about a kid who drank himself into the hospital um, and how his parents were like tracking him on his cell phone. And that didn't stop him from drinking himself into the hospital. Um, when I was at Villanova for my master's, uh, my undergrad students would constantly tell me about how like it was a badge of pride if you drank so much that they had to call the um, Villanova EMS service for you. Um, that like you had to you had to get an ambulance because you had drank so much. Um, that now this is not the the I'm not trying to say that that the drinking is also the individual <laughs> moral failing of these students. That but that it is the, this partying and the socializing and the hanging out are all part of what's been sold as a college experience in colleges like particularly these big party schools. Um, UGA comes to mind, right? Um, have have for so long let this sort of um, subculture, underground um, college party alcohol culture um, thrive without actually addressing it as the public health crisis that it is and, and trying in reasonable ways to do risk mitigation, right? Um, yeah, I think... I think risk mitigation and harm reduction is like if you insist on having students, faculty and staff on campus, I think harm reduction risk mitigation is is the model. Um, and, and you're right, Alex. I mean, it's I'm going to turn into Ralph Nader here. Right. I mean, colleges <laughs> are unsafe at any speed. Uh, um, uh, you know, it's um, it's it, and, you know, Part of it is drinking culture. Part of it is that packing that many people into that small. I mean, outbreaks of communicable diseases happen on campus before COVID-19 happened, right? Um, but, you know, meanwhile, even as, and I don't think that, you know, uh, the University of Georgia sent out any message like the one that Vanderbilt did, but um, uh, the University of Georgia is going to have its first home football game in a, a week or two. Mm-hmm. And they're oh going to sell allow gathering in lots. They're they're selling twenty five thousand <laughs> tickets to that thing, um, and they have banned tailgating, but they are allowing gathering in lots, right? I mean, so it's like, it's there's a yeah, like as you were saying, there's sort of a there's like a tacit encouragement of of that very culture, um, right. Alexandra. That you pointed out. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if it's as funny when other people do it. I think it just needs to be Molly doing it. Um, but yeah, I mean, and and that's part of what they're selling, right? The sort of it's not just that you get to go to football games when you're a student. It's that when you become an alum, you get to donate whatever the secret amount of money you have to donate to the athletic department is to get season tickets, and then you bring your RV into town and you, um, you know, you you drink your way through Athens. Um, right. 
Well, but now the athletic director of UGA has said that they're only opening those parking lots three hours before kickoff time. (laughs) So he is certain that we have to link this in the show notes because it's absolutely mystifying to me. He is actually certain that that three hour limit is going to really nip tailgating in the bud because you just don't have time to get your grill set up folding chairs and it's just going to be fine. (laughs) The other thing, do you know, are they opening the same number of parking lots as they usually do? Do you know? I don't know. Because many people come to tailgate and have no intention of going to the game. And I expect there'll be even more of those people now. Yes. Oh, yeah. That there's only 25,000 tickets as opposed to like the 90 something they normally sell. That's unbelievable. Yeah. (laughs) Three hours before kickoff. Yeah. And and you know what? Just it's not going to be a worry. No one's going to do any gathering because they only have three hours. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, yeah. So I I think like one of the best models of harm reduction that I've actually seen um, came out of UGA and has since I think been scrubbed from the internet because um, people Barstool got a hold of it and thought it was really oh. wild. Um, but mm. the health center put out um, a sort of like harm reduction model of how to uh, engage in sexual practices safely during the pandemic. Um, and it follows a really traditional sort of like you start with the most, um, you know, the least amount of risk, the most harm reduction possible, which is that you should just have sex with yourself. Um, that's the safest. And then it went all the way down to, you know, uh, 10, 12 bullet points later, um, maybe avoid face-to-face positions um, if you're going to be uh, engaging in sexual activities with other people. Um, And of course, you know, the internet, uh, (laughs) mature as always, um, lost their minds at the idea that UGA was recommending that people do reverse cowgirl in order to not spread coronavirus. Um, I thought reverse cowgirl would get a laugh and now I feel weird. (laughs) Sorry to let you down. (laughs) That's that's our failure. Yeah, that deserved a laugh. (laughs) I was trying to be professional. Um, I swallowed it. (laughs) Sorry, that phrase. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. That was the laugh that should have followed reverse cowgirl. Um, Anyway, so yeah, I mean, I, I so I think that that it, it's a completely to to do school safely during the pandemic would have to begin from a completely different model, both of what school is and what safety on campus is, um, and there's a lot of work to be done to get schools to move schools to the 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 place where they would be able to begin from there instead of beginning from immediate um, carceral solutions and enforcement and extra policing and all of these really violent mechanisms that we've seen, right? The violence is not surprising. It would be surprising were they to actually be able to come at it from a a harm reduction standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, and, and I think the laughter, I mean, part of the laughter is just how unused, we are in the United States to that kind of approach, right? And I think um, Inside Higher Edge had had an article last week about schools, like suddenly weeks into the semester, like 
building outdoor spaces that are less dangerous for students to yeah. congregate. Like Notre, Notre Dame, after shutting down in-person uh, classes for a week and a half, decided, oh, what if we put like fire pits and Adirondack chairs out in the quad? Like we have all this outdoor space. What if we like made socially distant outdoor space in the quad, right? Like what if Syracuse had had that out there to begin with? to like mm -hmm. show students how to safely use that space rather than just have them congregate. But it's not even, it's so far down the list that um, it takes a month of, of classes for the, anyone to even think about it. Well, they were so busy thinking about um, hygiene theater, <laughs> right? Uh, yes, yeah, hygiene theater and, um, and punitive, yeah, punitive And they hear a campaign. <laughs> Oh, they were so busy making their fucking memes. <laughs> they, were, <laughs> they were they were photoshopping penguins into campus photography. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, have we have we addressed the the Fakodian, um aspects of this current moment sufficiently? I think so. He would ask for definitely like six six more episodes um, on the topic, right? So maybe season two we'll do a Foucault miniseries. <laughs> I like that idea. I feel like we dipped into history of sex at the end. We did get something of a broad Foucault coverage. True. <laughs> we somehow didn't talk about Paris, but you know. Fair. <laughs> I was gonna when we talked about the the humanities crisis in the U.S. and how like we don't en encounter Foucault. I was actually gonna make a joke about how like we're not all you know um, copying down the Sorbonne's exam questions and then debating them. <laughs> That's <in> right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, I mean, if you're gonna debate them, an outdoor cafe would be a safer place to do it than a classroom. <laughs> that, yes, you're right. <laughs> be tolerated at Vanderbilt. That is in italics, by the way. The, One person's dis Oh, go ahead. No, no, no. I Sorry, you were on a roll. I was. I get really into it. Um, I feel like I feel a lot like Michael Shannon. <laughs> yeah. He would also be great. Oh, if we could book him, I would absolutely pay whatever his fee is for this. Um, all right, C continuing on here. <laughs>